Welcome to the Horizon CIO podcast. This week's podcast is brought to you in association with eSynergy Solutions. eSynergy Solutions is a community-driven software business, and their mission is to help companies build great technology teams. Find out more at www.esynergy-solutions.co.uk. Welcome to this Horizon CIO podcast with me, Mark Chillingworth. In this episode, we're discussing how CIOs attract the right talent to their organization. So for this innovation interview episode, we're meeting two organizations who are taking a very different approach to connecting CIOs to the skills they need. My guests on this podcast are Patrick Crompton, a founder and CEO of eSynergy Solutions, a partner to the Horizon CIO podcast, and Natalie Christmas Cooper of Skills Matter. Patrick and Natalie, welcome to the podcast. Tell us briefly about your organizations and what your core offering is. Um, can I start with you, please, Patrick? Thanks, Mark. So traditionally, uh, eSynergy was a recruitment business, but we are moving uh, more uh, towards delivering software outcomes through um, the power of our communities. That's primarily in the open source and cloud software space, helping customers such as HSBC, HMRC, WorldPay, Nutmeg, Zopa um, to deliver better software outcomes. That's it in a nutshell. Wonderful. Natalie, tell us a bit about Skills Matter. Hi. Um, Skills Matter is based at Codenode, which is a 24,000 square foot event space in London. Every day we host a mix of courses, conferences and meetups, delivering a total of around 2,000 events a year and all related to tech. Skills Matter is community driven and what makes us so special is the quality of our developer community and how it thrives on collaboration. We've thousands of experienced and influential software engineers and they're engaged in continuous learning and we encourage them to share their experiences, skills and ideas across the different languages and frameworks. Great. Um, Follow any technology skills conversation on social media, podcasts, uh, print media, whatever. Uh, You'll hear the term skills gap. So uh, is there a skills gap? Or is is the approach by HRs, CIOs, the recruiting companies causing this problem? Who would like to start? (laughs) I think it's a great question. I think it'd be almost impossible to deny that there's a skills gap. There is a huge skills gap, but there is also a huge um, challenge in the approach. And this isn't just for CIOs, this is HR, this is everyone that's involved in the process. There is a huge um, disconnect between that approach and and what's going on in the market. I'm not going to quote uh, stats that you can see online, but from our personal experience, um, we probably have um, 10 to 1 in favour of, of jobs over over potential candidates for those jobs. Uh, just some other stats that are quite off, uh, quite frightening. Every single person that we get an offer for uh, will get five offers. As a minimum, they will get five offers for other permanent opportunities. So if you think you're going to close someone on one person, that's, that's just uh, not going to be the case. Um Tech is cannibalising uh, every single week, so uh, people skills that were in demand even two and a half years ago are out of demand now already. So that's making life uh, a lot harder, and it's just simple supply and demand. There's not enough people for the amount of work there is out there. I would say. Yeah, and I I found from my experience that at one end of the pipeline, you've got lots of companies who are busy firefighting and um, trying to get the best talent from mm. a pool that's ever decreasing. They seem to have very specific problems that need experienced people who can come straight in and get on with it with very little input from the companies. Um, but the consequence is that they don't have any capacity to support an intake of juniors. Then at the other end, you've got people trying to get in as juniors, but it's very difficult to open those doors. Uh, I've seen job specs with uh, 
what I feel is a really unrealistic set of skills and experience for junior positions where most will quote three years plus and they ask for a computer science degree and I think to see a change here we really need to see companies start investing in people uh, and the industry needs to put a stop to this reactive culture that is just going to be self-perpetuating because if you don't support the intake of juniors then where are you going to get the seniors from tomorrow? It's interesting, you know, Patrick, on the one hand is there saying skills are out of date within two years and yet companies are saying you've got to have three years experience. Or yeah, <laughs> even it doesn't my make sense. Four, but <laughs> it's, it's fascinating. And, and what I notice that skills matter though, when I have worked, I work in and out there a number of times and, and obviously East Energy work alongside you there, is there is a pool of, it's, it's, the place is always packed, it's always buzzing, you get going in the afternoons and evenings full of people yeah it is it is why, it's really why are these vibrant. two not yeah it's wonderful isn't it and, and and i mean patrick you and i talked about this a hundred times in the past why is that not connecting up i think i think there's a multitude of, of reasons um i think uh there's some very outdated hiring processes with customers in terms of how they work you know taking too long to hire people i don't think um no. people are reasonable in terms of what they understand is on the market and what is not on the market mm. people think they can hire certain skills for certain salaries it's not it's not possible there's very very little flexibility mm. i think there's a serious lack of understanding of what people want there's a lot of talk about millennials but it, it, it's just understanding what the this generation of people want and what they expect working from home and all these different things that maybe weren't relevant 10 years ago that are absolutely relevant now and if you don't provide those things and those platforms for people then they they won't they won't work for you mm. they'll go and work for google or facebook or someone else and, and not work for your organization and so it sounds like you know we've got a growing number of organizations looking for candidates with the right attitude uh, organisations are beginning to understand that changes are constant and that requires a different set of people um, and, and a different set of challenges, cross-functional teams working alongside non-technical peers. What you're saying there, Patrick, is almost like recruitment is a bit like the old-fashioned procurement processes. It's long, it's slow, it's very defined into a set of uh, you know square holes and we're trying to put round pegs into those. I think you can draw a lot of parallels between what's happened in the last 15, 20 years and what's happening now. So if you look at how people delivered software 10 or 15 years ago, it was traditional waterfall um, methodology where you, you would capture the requirements, you'd define the specs, and, and that could take a year, 18 months before you develop any software. And if you now look at what's happened with these organisations like uh, Facebook, Google, all of these organisations, they're delivering and pushing software every day. So those agile processes of delivering software are affecting the way you hire people and the way people are trained and if you don't if you don't embrace that then you, you, you're never ever going to be able to build your teams yeah and as, as technologists as well I think some of the the onus is on us as well mm-hmm. we need to have an area of expertise but to be successful within the company you've also got to understand the bigger picture of how that specialism fits not only within the business but also within the wider community to understand how your customers are thinking and reacting to to what you build and develop I'd agree I think there's a, there's a handful of ways you can build teams so you, you can either build permanent teams yourself you can either hire contractors or you could go to traditional SIs or consultancies. Yeah. But even looking at going to the SIs and consultancies, 
unlike 10 or 15 years ago, they don't have a bunch of developers sat on the bench waiting to be engaged. They can't even keep hold of their developers for long enough no. for them to be on the bench, let alone engage with you. So it's not just about whether you, you go to recruiters or whether you hire people yourself uh, or whether you retrain or whether you use an SI. That All of these angles are, are coming under scrutiny in, in their ability to deliver software effectively. So you're, you're having to change and adapt and, and look at new routes. And I totally agree with Natalie on it, people, organisations are missing out on a huge pool of talent by only being very blinkered about their approach and just looking at certain ways. I can only hire experienced senior people. Well, if you're prepared to pay a huge amount of money for those senior people, then I'm sure you can. But there are other options out there that would give you a blended approach. Yeah. Uh, and earlier this year, CIOs Claire Priestley and, and Omid Siraji said that the lack of diversity uh, is down to organisations doing exactly as you both just described, not looking widely enough in the talent search. Is that something you, you've experienced? And by diversity, I mean all aspects of diversity. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. Um, there's plenty of people coming through from these more disruptive learning pathways like the coding boot camps. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got a complete diverse mix of students. Uh, they're not all computer science based. And these less conventional candidates have got lots of other useful soft skills to, to bring to, to the mix. But it's important to remember diversity isn't just a discussion about gender. It's age, accessibility, culture, background, experience. Um, so you're looking, I mean, people now are looking at having maybe three, four or five career changes in a lifetime. Um, and that's really going to change the, the talent pool. Mm. We've got a couple of great examples. We've lost four or five of our ex-recruitment consultants. Can you imagine? They've retrained into being DevOps or software engineers. But what a, gr- what a great opportunity for someone after seven or eight years in one industry to change to another. And, and I totally agree with Natalie. It brings a bunch of other things that they don't have. So the interpersonal skills, the, the business skills, the ability to liaise with customers that they've learned over that seven or eight years in, in recruitment or sales and then moved into, into tech is, is for me is fabulous for the industry yeah and uh, skills matter they've done a really good job actually of attracting a diverse workforce um, on all counts and this is the first job that I've had in over 20 years and not once while I've been there I've never felt out of place and uh, it's it's just such an inspiring environment to work in I absolutely love it Uh, that glues together two two points you both made nicely doesn't it that you're 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 losing recruiters but because recruiters have to be in front of the customer day in, day out. There's, there's no other way to do the job. And it's, it's wonderful, Natalie was saying, that we've got prob- we've had problems in the past with IT that they, they never wanted to talk to the customer or to the mm. rest of the business. So at least the people you're losing have got used to doing that. I think the diversity piece probably stems from probably most people not really understanding what diversity is. It's yeah. not just one set of group of people. Yeah. The second problem with diversity is... Um, a lot of people, I don't believe, buy, really genuinely buy into the fact it creates a better work environment, and that, you know, that's the, the the fundamental crux of the problem. Is that I generally don't think a lot of people might say they do, don't believe it does. But if you look at most of the the the, the best software engineering teams that we create are diverse, both or say both in in relation to everything from male, female, uh, and all the different areas of diversity. Mm. It's definitely a more positive environment yeah. to having better ideas, different perspectives and, and different people. As, as Natalie says as well, I mean, I've seen organisations pivot so much. 
much that they've gone from having a, an organisation that was almost too old and too experienced to being too young and too inexperienced and still very white and very male and very, you know, privileged and educated and that. Yeah. Um, you know, as you raise, age brings uh, various sort of skills and benefits with it, as, as does all the other sort of uh, uh, important areas of yeah, diversity. From, from lots of different areas as well. So yeah. there's, there's, as Patrick says, there's so many different perspectives that you can bring onto a problem then when when you've got that mix of people yeah absolutely but i think it all it all stems down from whether people really genuinely bind into that philosophy Mm. that it's a better environment and if they don't they're never going to hire a diverse workforce that's a that's a fact yeah but But if you look out at the the customers that you're building your products for and society is diverse so you've you've got to reflect that within your own team otherwise you're not going to understand your customer absolutely uh, we had uh, Lloyd's Banking Group CEO on the podcast last week talking about how when she was growing up, the bank manager was always a man. But yeah. of course, now, you know, most financial decisions are made by anyone in the family and and, and your children have access to technologies and, and financial services that yeah. didn't exist. Yeah. Definitely. So, so we're currently doing a, a programme for Aviva at the moment on exactly this piece. And we were, um, the first part of it is is coaching and teaching their SMT about what diversity actually is and who it includes SMT, and what it does. Senior management team. Senior management team, team yep. yeah. And then looking at how they embed themselves in those communities to attract a diverse workforce. I'll give you one example of diversity. This is not all of them, but female engineers going for jobs and being interviewed by an all-male panel. Well, guess what? It's very unlikely they're going to take that job because there's no female role models in those organisations and the chances of of them having any sort of empathy or understanding about having to work from home and doing things like that, well, well, guess what? You're not going to attract that talent. So we're working very close with Aviva to do that and then put some measurables around it and, and say, look, where where can we start? What can we do? And how can we do it? And then the final stage with them will be to, to look at um, how they share their story with the community, what worked, what didn't work, so that hopefully other people can learn from some of the things that they did. That Because, that, you know, we all... We all do lots of things badly. It's really nice to, to share your story and hope that yeah. someone else doesn't fall down that same... And that's a fascinating insight into making a partially correct step. They've obviously improved their intake of potential candidates. They've got women engineers coming forward for the role. And, mm-hmm. and I get asked by, by friends in the recruitment sector, you know, we, clients ask for a diverse set of candidates. Can any, any women CIOs you think we should absolutely consider... And then, of course, this client, as I said, has then put forward a panel of all white male uh, interviewees and and it just breaks the whole process down, doesn't it? So so this is where the problem came from. They couldn't attract. It was a self-perpetuating circle. They could not attract any female talent. So guess what? They have one out of 55 engineers are female. Mm. Well, you know, the first thing you should do is make sure that female's on your panel. Yeah, well, that... (laughs) And you think these things are quite obvious, but they're actually not. Yeah. Uh, You know, when you're into that. And and then the second thing is you've got to tell that story and make sure that story is out. That, you know, you know that the 54 out of 55 are are not female, but you are trying to make positive changes and do that. And the second thing that they've probably realised most is they're going to have to be flexible. They're going to have to, you know, hire these people maybe from a return to work programme or they're not going to find senior um, senior female engineers when they only make 16, they only make up 16% of the workforce of tech engineers are females. Of course, you're never going to get that. 
Yeah. And I think it's really important as well that they do encourage, um, when you do start getting the more diverse intake, to encourage these people to actually be vocal about what they're doing and be visible because we definitely need more role models as well if we yeah. want this thing to change because it was finding, uh, it was actually Dr Sue Black that was a role model for me because she was she was relatable, she was real and she was the first person that actually made me think, yeah, I could do this and go for it. You've, you've got to make sure you give these people a voice as well and, and just spread the word and encourage other people to follow suit and, and join in. And she is an inspiring character, isn't she? Oh, She's very. larger than life. And, yeah. But I think we're in probably one of the best positions we've ever been in, in, in since I started my career back in the, in the 90s in the fact that there is a bunch of events, meetups, all celebrating diversity and, and there are there are so many ways to get involved if you go back 10 10 years ago there was nothing yeah the, the meetup community is so strong now and uh, really supportive and encouraging mm. as well so if you're not sure about it and you've got confidence issues get along to these meetups because they really do give you a boost and what's nice about them is that they are quite democratic isn't it i agree with you patrick you go back a couple of years and uh, and there's still people doing it there's a forced nature to some of the diversity sort of targets isn't there or, or some of the sort of programs and events and what have you and, uh, and and i know that they mean well but when you go to the some of the meetups because they're so democratic they, they're, they're just so much more authoritative about what they're talking about mm. you are listening to the horizon cio podcast this week in association with eSynergy Solutions. Find out more at www.esynergy-solutions.co.uk. Natalie, you returned to work after a career break. May I ask, did you find some of these barriers that, that Patrick's raised in, in, uh, in the organisations you were talking to? And Oh, yes. Well, actually, surprisingly, I did. I thought it would be really easy to get back into work, but I actually got quite a big shock. Because um, a couple of years ago, I wrote an article for The Guardian about why aren't there more women in tech? Because I actually found the barriers to entry really low. Because um, there's lots of opportunity to learn online through courses and the meetups and the workshops we've been discussing. So, yeah, it was really easy with this more informal, self-directed learning approach. But as a candidate trying to break into the tech industry, it was a totally different story. The job search was actually the most soul-destroying experience I've ever had to endure. All my years of freelancing and working from home, albeit as a, you know, while I was bringing up my kids, I was working as a remote designer developer because mm-hmm. my background is graphics and then I've learned to code over the years right. and started building websites. And I've even, I've had award nominations and I've got wins under my belt. But none of this was seen as commercial experience. I even had one recruiter tell me that I, I'd just been building mom and pop websites and that no company was going to let me loose on their system because they'd spent hundreds of of pounds, hundreds of thousands of pounds getting this big system built and I just wouldn't understand it and I might break it. And that that was how a lot of the time I was actually being spoken to, Mm. um, which was quite shocking. So I think as a candidate as well, you've got to have the right mindset to expect this to to take a long time and not to give up because there are companies out there that that are starting to appreciate that you need to have a more diverse workforce and they will appreciate the talents that you bring and the experience that you have you've just got to find them and don't give up and how has that experience and that journey um, shaped uh, your role at Skills Matter and, and what you're doing there? It's been really good, actually, because I've uh, one of the comments that you always hear as well when, when you get turned down by recruiters is, sorry, we need somebody who can hit the ground running. Well, 
as far as I'm concerned, you know, with the experience I've got, I've been able to come in and, and smash it, not just hit it running. They, they encourage me to get involved in lots of different aspects across the, the business. So I'm getting involved with lots of different teams. Um, and that's how they encourage everybody to work as well. So we kind of guide ourselves as well. And we're given the space and opportunity to learn, explore new ideas. And that's where you get true innovation from. Mm. I was just going to say one of the biggest challenges, again, is, is not necessarily just the skill shortage, but CIOs in particular need to lead by example. They, they need to foster a an environment of learning. They give people specific time inside work hours to learn about what they need to learn about, and it's seen as a as a bonus and a benefit, not as a that that's time spent. They could have been doing coding, or they could have been de- delivering something. Um, if you look at all the the big, truly innovative organisations, you talked about certain companies out there, but they all have half day or a day a week where they are expected to learn new skills and that's not just around skills that could be around emotional intelligence it could be around a diversity workshop understanding what diversity truly is but pe- there should be a culture of of learning yeah. that comes top down from the cios and i would say yeah. if you could take one thing out of this podcast would be exactly that that you, you it, the cio should create with, with their senior management team which we do internally i have a review with everyone once a week and say what have you learned this week what time have you spent out and what have you learned and that should be a culture that should be ingrained and that's how you'll you'll keep ahead and it's not about the the number of years experience that's just absolute rubbish it's about someone's ability to learn quickly and enjoy learning on the job and they'll pick up way more than someone that's got 10 years of experience knowing how something was done 10 years ago yeah Yeah. it's not how it works anymore it does seem to be a cultural problem in the uk that we we don't reskill our existing teams i mean i'm i've been in conversations i've overheard conversations with cios are talking about jettisoning a team because they need these new skills and i totally understand that they need some new skills a business or the vertical market is veering off in a different direction you've got to react quickly and we all understand what a uh, you know that is part of the CIO's role and, and one of the challenges. But as you say, we don't seem to be as a nation, and not just in not just IT, and like we're not just hitting CIOs over the head here. We're saying actually in all set sectors that we don't seem to reskill our teams, and that sounds to me well, that's what you're seeing as well. I think probably uh, not getting too philosophical about <laughs> it. It probably comes from school, and uh, you know where you're taught a certain way, and that you know you're you, you, this is how you learn. But actually, in in in, in real life, you, you you have to carry on learning through your career. Um, unless you get stale and stagnant, as that's the fact, and that I just don't think there's a there's a culture of it. I totally agree with you. With with, with and it needs to be led from top down. Mm. Um, there needs to be be some sort of culture where they're allowed time to take out to learn. And it doesn't have to be just to learn about the business. It could be to learn about all sorts of different things that are related to the business. And that will in turn make your business better. We did a podcast last year on on the apprentice levy uh, just uh, weeks before it was announced. And then uh, uh, last week I was listening to the news and uh, it's been a flop. The sign-up rate is is unbelievably low and it just seems that organisations are not taking advantage of these opportunities to re-equip. So I'll give you a great example we've had our probably best three hires of, uh, of last year were all apprentices um, so I can tell you that that's going to make a huge, a huge part of our business next this year um, in that space but out of our current customers I reckon probably 10% use, um, use apprentices 
and you can completely understand why they're high maintenance there's a lot of work needs to go into it you need to put together a training plan they don't become um, profitable for a period but it's not as long as people think Mm. people think the apprentice is going to take two years to to come good our apprentices were delivering value to our business within three months that is not a long time to wait for someone to come good it's a myth that it takes two years absolute myth they just don't put enough investment in it and again that's a a trenchant view from when you and I were growing up three of us were growing up in the 70s where an apprenticeship was typically uh, two years <laughs> yeah but you can you can deliver stuff very very quickly in three months you does you're, you're not you're well, not building a car from scratch it doesn't take you two years to learn every single mechanical you can learn to to, to write software in, in you know most of the people that have left our business and gone on to do it have done it in these code camps and the code camps guess what they're three months yeah, yeah. that's exactly how I've done it it's all uh, concentrated down it's it's the information that you need to know with all the fluff removed and yeah. you can do it and it's it's a lot more accessible then a uh, lot more affordable uh, and it works so you can keep yourself up to date and current and learn the skills that are in demand now yeah. and then keep yourself updated ready for tomorrow what, what really makes you laugh is when you hear um you know your your customers are happy to pay someone a huge daily rate or salary to learn another skill well why would you not get an apprentice or someone that's paid about a tenth of that yeah. to learn the other skills surely they could learn it at the same speed of course they can Does, it doesn't matter because they're um you know they're paid less they probably their ability to learn is is probably a, a lot higher because they they've got an ingrained need to learn because if they don't learn they won't be they won't be in the job mm. but again that comes down to a cultural belief that you pay someone a lot of money, you think that, that they're going to be more likely to learn something than someone that's not paid a lot of money. Well, throws up the question of why there's too much focus on uh, graduates coming out with computer science degrees. We've had various departments, ministers, experts talk about this, but as you're saying, recruiters, graphic designers are, are the future of, of, of technology uh, development and leadership because you're, you're bringing a whole series of courses. I mean, do we, do we need to move on from that debate? I think half the problem is people are very blinkered about their approach and they think they need to hire a graduate because they're somehow better than an apprentice or better than someone that has got got no experience in the industry that wants to learn and that's just just not true. The, the stuff that's taught in in universities is is you know is clearly you know very very good, but it's not relevant. It can't be relevant. The, the whole industry is cannibalising itself every eighteen to twenty four months. So how can a three year course be relevant? What you teach at the start of the course, they won't be doing in 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 at the end of the course. Yeah, that's so true. I've found that as well. That when you start off, you're learning stuff. By the time you finish, there's already changed. There's updates, and you you just have to to keep on this path of continual learning. Yeah. But the, the the key is to is to open up your horizons and look at um at other options. It's not just graduates. There's this, this huge intake of other people that um, can either be upskilled from within the industry or from outside the industry. And and the the key skill you're looking for is is the ability and the desire to learn. Yeah, definitely. That's it. Do, have you seen that as a return to work? Your peers and that, are they sort of looking at your journey, going, "Oh, why why didn't I do that?" Yeah, I've had and I've had so many people as well that have said to me, "Oh God," when they've heard, oh, "I'd love to learn to code, but I'm too old," and that's how they think. And then the conversation stops, and I have to keep saying. No, not at all. Don't ever say that. And there's all this opportunity out there. If you want to learn, go learn because you can do it. Uh, And your two organisations work together to promote continual education. Pat, first of all, are are your clients recognising that? Are they coming and are they seeing Skills Matter? Are they seeing the the atmosphere there and seeing the people that come through that lovely cycle uh, and then are available via yourselves? 
I think there's a very small number of people that see it, definitely, but not not many. I'd say probably maybe less than five or ten percent. Right. Uh, and it just comes down from a cultural thing. Everyone wants everything here and now. They want a ready-made software development team to build software right now, and they can't wait. They can't afford to train. Um, the the partnership between eSynergy and, and Skills Matter works beautifully because. Um, we obviously the the magic ingredient for the person we look for is that ability to have gone to an event on their own and to have learned about something which basically gives them the edge over anyone else and if we find those types of people they're exactly the types of people we want in our community so both e-synergy and skills matter share that that desire and then secondly we we're working very very closely with all of our customers um to put people through that training platform which skills matter do you know really really well so it's a very good partnership from that respect and actually, the technology companies, be it Workday and, and, and various others, they're continually using Skills Matter. They seem to have a different approach to some of the, the end user companies that, that Patrick's talking about. Yeah, and it's, it's, it is a very, very busy location, and we've got lots of events that are on continually um, throughout the year. Um, and I think some of the companies are starting to recognise the benefits, but they struggle because of the processes and, and things that they've got in place that it's really difficult to get things set up to actually get the staff out there and get them skilled. So that's, as, as Patrick says, that's why it works really well um, as a partnership together to actually help come up with solutions that do make it easier for these companies to access that, that training and that knowledge. But just small things that CIOs could do. We we have a culture internally, um, or we've created a culture that if people are at events from our office learning about new technology or trying to meet new people and they're working till late, then they just come in late the next day. But I still think there's so many old school organisations where it's not seen as a good thing or it's seen as well you've got to do your work on top of that. Well, that's just not how life works anymore. You you, you have to. Uh, allow flexibility so if people are going to attend these events and, and learn about things there needs to be some sort of flexibility internally as to how that happens if that makes sense there is a there's a balance that needs mm. to yeah and I think once you do that you might actually find you get more productivity out of people as well because they're actually enjoying what they're doing and want to do it so they're, they're going to contribute and they're going to keep going whereas if you just force them to be rigid and you've got to do this you've got to do that and you, you don't feel value or worth in what you're doing then you are just going to clock in clock out and go and that'll be it Absolutely we had the, the CEO of one of the major oil firms in here just the other week saying how uh, his challenge now is to create a place where people want to come to work Yeah and, and want to do the work because it's because it's a it's a place to be in it. Yeah, you want to be there. You're happy to be there. Absolutely. So. But one of the key ingredients for that is learning. Yeah. Everyone wants to learn. Everyone's in, interested to learn. No one wants to do the same job they did 18 months ago. They want to learn. They want to constantly be progressing and and, um, and moving on with their career. And the only way to do that is to foster an environment where it's accepted and and it's um, and it's seen as a is a huge positive. Mm. What about the challenge, though, and it has been raised on the Horizon CIO podcast, uh, that these skilled millennials don't want to work in a lot of corporates. Uh, they want some work, but they want don't want to, to go and be employees. Are you coming into contact with that challenge, and do you have any advice for how CIOs might, might counter it? Do, do people... At, to your attendees at Skills Matter saying, I wouldn't work for them, <laughs> no. but I'll take some work. <laughs> um, I think I think in what Patrick has said, he's, he's spot on really. That um, it's, it's not just millennials, actually. I agree with that way of thinking that you do need a much better work-life balance. Mm. Um, if, if you are working in an environment that's flexible and you are encouraged to take that time and you're given the space to, to grow, 
and if if you actually get that self-worth as well of knowing you're making a valuable contribution instead of just turning up and doing your job it makes all the difference and you know I get up I love Monday mornings now so and I haven't said that for a very long time <laughs> I think it's a really uh, really valid point I, I think it's a slightly different argument but my view is that this whole millennial debate probably no different I'm sure people commented me in the, in the 90s and said I wasn't like the generation before that I didn't work as hard I didn't appreciate everything else I think th- things are absolutely changing and you have to embrace that what the, the large corporates don't get and maybe what the CIOs are not getting is that if they don't get their offering right then people have choices and they won't go to the corporates. They will go to the other organisations that offer these, the fintechs, the you know all of these other organisations that are offering that. So I think that whole millennial thing for me doesn't exist. The corporate organisations don't get their cultures right. So they don't get their message right. They still, you know, they say they're looking for this and there's there's no working from home, there's no time for learning and all these different things. They don't get the message right. Mm. So, of course, they're not going to go there because there's plenty of options. Yeah. You know, we, we, you know, most people will have somewhere between five and ten offers. You know, so why on earth would you go and work for a corporate who doesn't have their message right and doesn't have what's right? So I think the key for the CIOs is to make sure that they, they do spend that time understanding what is different about their business, what they can offer people and making sure that's right and understanding that the market has changed and people should not expect to work for them if you go back 10 years ago everyone wanted to work for a bank in in it or in tech it's not the case now no. the banks can't even attract people they're not interested because they want to go and work for some of these other more exciting organizations but there are a few um, banking organizations that have got their message right and are attracting great talent but it's just about getting that message right and, and understanding what, what people actually want. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not what it was 10 years ago. Uh, the UK technology community is one that is greatly worried by Brexit, and I apologise for bringing up the B word. Uh, <laughs> let's begin on a positive word. Should Brexit be used as an opportunity to create a more skilled UK workforce? Well, I think regardless of Brexit, we should be taking every opportunity to train the workforce anyway. Um If we don't make that investment in people, we are going to run the danger of not being able to stay competitive and, you know, companies will just go elsewhere. If you don't have the right digital skills, startups will struggle to scale up, um, businesses won't be able to innovate and that competitive edge is gone and then products will just stagnate. Mm. So. I think the, 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 well, the UK in particular has been amazing at exporting services. So we look at banking in the 90s and 2000s. Um, one of the be- best things that we, you know, one of our best kept secrets is our ability to, to build um, software and, and, and sell that. Yep. And if we don't foster that environment of, of, of bringing more people through, then it will be one of the things that, that, that suffers. Mm-hmm. So I think regardless of Brexit, it makes no odds. There should be a, a sustained effort to create as many, as many people as we can in this industry because we, we you know we we, it, we make very very good money off it yeah um, are, are there dangers though to not having i mean you, you talk to cios like mark holt at Trainline. he's got a very cosmopolitan workforce he's not the only one uh, many an organization I, I go into I, I i see the world in an it team uh, are there dangers though that we're, we're going to cut off that access and, and we haven't prepared the skill base in the uk we're already short now, so there's huge dangers of it. Absolutely, I think we should be doing everything we can to put people through, um, you know, co- you know, apprenticeships, um, code camps, anything we can yeah. to, to bridge that gap, regardless of what happens with Brexit. Anyway, yeah. 
and many of your groups at Skills Matter are led by people who certainly weren't born in Britain, were they? And it's a, it's a, it's a melting pot it on, a, on a Thursday night there. It is, and, and that should be embraced as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we can sound bleak about skills and recruitment, um, but is there an exciting future ahead for CIOs and their technical staff and the candidates? It's, uh... For those who embrace change, absolutely. There's a huge, huge amount of opportunity. With with, um, with change comes great opportunity. And if you look at, there's lots of parallels drawn between the Industrial Revolution and now the Digital Revolution, which we're in the very, very early phases of. The opportunity to, to take advantage of that as a as a nation is, is huge and that we should uh, we should embrace that and capitalise on it. I know I've obviously got a vested interest because that's my business, um, but I genuinely believe that there's a huge opportunity to become a global powerhouse based on uh, on, on software and we, we should you, absolutely embrace that. You raise a fascinating point there about the Industrial Revolution because of two of the success stories of the Industrial Revolution were capital and Saltaire, where these were businesses that, as we've discussed today, embraced all those things. They had they built schools and libraries and chapels and housing, uh, whole communities around their organisations. I mean, there wasn't the choice that we have today, but people did stay, and, and they became incredibly productive companies. And and as we've discussed, we're not, we're not delivering on that in many organisations, are we? I think there's a, I think there's a, there's going to be a bunch of winners. I'm not going to name any specific organisations, but there are a bunch of really large enterprise organisations who are doing exactly that. But instead of doing building schools, they're just building communities. It's mm. all about building uh, those communities, but that takes time, that takes effort from your people, and you have to understand that um, you might not necessarily see that day that they put in last week back as productive work, but it is. So it's absolutely about building tech communities and sharing those stories and making a, making our, our country um, as good as it possibly can yeah, be. Definitely. And I've, I've worked in a number of industries uh, in my early 20s. And by comparison, the tech sector has been one of the most vibrant and collaborative communities that I've actually experienced. Mm-hmm. And whether it's in a startup, corporate, finance, security, the cloud, the, the number of opportunities are endless. And I find that really exciting. Patrick Crompton, Natalie Chrisman Cooper, thank you for sharing your insights on the Horizon CIO podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please do rate or review us on your review, on your preferred podcast platform. Each week, there is CIO news and insights on the horizonbusinessinnovation.com website. Thank you for listening. <laughs>